Welcome to episode 66. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finished. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our future guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. If you've not already done so, remember to click subscribe on your podcast player so that you do not miss an episode. This is Davis Mutabo here, your host. I am very excited today to bring you our feature guest, Mr. Yaro Starak. Yaro, welcome to the Business Generals podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Davis. I'm looking forward to doing this interview. Awesome. I'm actually, I was just saying to Yaro, I'm amazed that I'm, I've actually managed to catch him and I wasn't sure whether I was going to catch him or his double because um, he's uh, he's uh, somebody who's really on demand because he's the founder of the famous blog, Entrepreneur's Journey. And some of the highlights from, from what I've gathered from his um, bio is he's generated millions of dollars over the internet. He has taught many people around the world. I've actually interviewed some of Yaro's students, including uh, Virtual Miss Friday more recently. And uh, he teaches people right around the world how to live the laptop lifestyle as an entrepreneur. He's also the founder of a of a great podcast called the Entrepreneur's Journey Podcast. Yara started podcasting before podcasting became a thing. And uh, you can find him at entrepreneurs-journey.com. And we'll talk a bit about um, some of Yara's fantastic products that have helped people like yourself and myself um, you know, generate income online. So Yara, why don't you kick us off and uh, tell us where we are chatting to you from and uh, how you're your traveling lifestyle has led you in, uh, around the world in the most recent past. Yeah, sure, Davis. I, I, you caught me while I've started a new journey, you could say. I'm in Ukraine right now. Uh, my father was actually born in Ukraine, and my grandmother and grandfather on that side of the family. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. uh, expect this to happen, to be honest. I, I was traveling through Europe for most of this year, 2017. Um, lots of places, London, Paris, Nice, Monaco, Barcelona, Warsaw, uh, Valencia. And during that trip, I actually went to Ukraine for the first time, uh, also to Kiev mm-hmm. to see Eurovision. So that's uh, what kind of brought me here. And then I just really loved Lviv. It's the city I'm in right now and I made some friends. There's some business opportunities that came up here. Lifestyle is great. I was a bit tired. I, I've been literally like moving every two to three weeks for a good good part of this year, almost the entire year. And I was getting tired. So I've, I've, I've stopped now for a, a period of time anyway, but I'm sure I'll start up again with some more traveling because it's just so much fun. And, you know, you can take your business with you wherever you go. And that's that's why I do what I do. So, uh, but Ukraine is is home right this second. Right. <laughs> I was actually coming when I was driving home from the shops just before and I was thinking, I wonder where that name comes from. And I had a, I had a feeling it was kind of around that Eastern Bloc region. So, so that's interesting to know. So that's the first time in Ukraine. Um, so how does that compare to Brisbane? <laughs> well, hmm. 
You know, size-wise, uh, not that different. You know, we're talking Lviv is a bit smaller. It's 700,000 people. You know, Brzee's, I think, at 1.2 million now. Weather, probably opposite, you know, <laughs> a bit warmer in Brisbane, I think. And, you know, it's, it's it, it, I think until, if, you, if you've grown up in Australia, Australia has a unique culture that is different to the rest of the world, I believe. There's obviously a lot of overlap with America, a lot of overlap with Canada and the UK and, you know, most of the English-speaking Western countries. But there's something also very unique about the Australian sporting, relaxed, you know, good weather all the time kind of lifestyle. And mm. when you hit Europe, I'm sure you've we maybe visit Europe at some point. Um, it's there's so much more history and you know old architecture, even just old culture, old attitudes. You know, so it's that's the experience that's different. I feel, uh, you know, especially I'm in a you know Soviet Union, ex-Soviet Union country, so you can still yeah. see some of that. But it's surprisingly not. Maybe it's because I don't speak the language, so I don't. You know, I'm only just learning Ukrainian, so I can't really fully embrace the culture yet. I'm working on that, but um, <laughs> you know, it obviously plays a part in the the psych. Psychosis, the, the background of the you know the way people think, especially the older generations. So it's interesting. It's like one big history lesson when you travel, you know, all around the world. I haven't actually been to Africa yet, so you know that's I'm sure an entirely different experience. I believe that's your background, right? That's right. Yeah, I um I grew up in Zambia and uh, started my my professional career in Botswana, and then you know migrated to Australia about twelve years ago. So so yeah, I haven't actually traveled to Europe as as of yet. Um, matter of fact, I've only been around Africa and and Australia. Australia, so um, so mm. got some got some traveling to do, which yeah. is um, which is why I'm excited to to hear how you are doing it. And um, so take us a little bit about uh, your personal story. I've I've watched uh, lots of your your videos and um, your podcasts. I've had a couple of my mates talk about you. So um, it's fair to say, you know, you've created a a very solid brand in this in the entrepreneurship space. And uh, congratulations to you. Um, so I wanted to ask you. Take us a little bit into your, you know, non-business personal background and how some of this started in the early days. Mm, sure. Well, born and raised in Australia, uh, although I sound like a Canadian, so I've always had um, a connection to both countries, and I am a citizen of both countries. My parents are, you know, Canadian immigrants and then Australian immigrants. And for uh -huh. me, the whole internet business thing actually came about because I uh, entered the University of Queensland studying a business management degree. And that's where I got my first ever dial-up uh, 56K modem access to the internet. And I, I really fell in love with the ease of access to information. Uh, at the time, I was you know 19 years old. I was fresh out of high school. I was playing a card game called Magic the Gathering. It's a collectible card game. It's kind of like poker in the sense that there's tournaments you can travel mm -hmm. around the world winning money not quite poker level money but you can certainly you know play it seriously but it's also fantasy so you know dragons your elves your lord of the rings sort of fantasy so a lot of young guys play it i, I started when i was 16 loved it i love playing tournaments so it made sense for my first website to actually be dedicated to the game and i you know i, I threw together a, a geocities website for people who are really really old don't know what geocities is it was a, a free website building tool and uh, built a following. You know, I wrote some articles. I brought on some other card players to write some articles. And then I, I turned it into a real business by um, uh, creating a card game store. So it was my first experience of e-commerce, uh, very, very basic, you know, putting pictures of, of the cards mm. and lists of the cards and sending them in the mail by hand. And, you know, there wasn't any PayPal or Stripe or any kind of, you know, easy payment processes. So it was a lot of cash in the mail or bank direct deposits and things like that. Oh, wow. Uh, and I also <laughs> had um, sponsors. So I put uh, banner ads on my site and it became like 
I guess you'd call it like a side hustle while I was studying university. So, you know, I made 500 to a thousand dollars during the best times. Um, and it gave me a really great experience of basic internet marketing, you know, how to get traffic, how to sell stuff, how to deal with customer service. Um, but wasn't, I, I guess I didn't see it as my future business because I was losing interest in the game. The, the profit margins on cards were tiny. It's not ultimately a very big market. So I was looking for something else. And I actually started uh, an essay editing business while I was still in university again. So I built the website while in university. And uh, my family actually helped mm-hmm. as editors to begin with. And later on, we hired other editors as contractors. And it was a really elegant business. I loved it because it w- this was the, the first true, uh, what I call, laptop lifestyle business. Uh, basically, I built this business specifically so I could travel with it. So it was very hands-off for me. So I had contract essay editors and the website. So I did marketing. I did you know SEO to grow my organic traffic. But I also put up posters at university campuses. So very old school marketing and new school marketing. And uh, mm-hmm. my job was initially sending emails between the customers and the editors. And I took a, a 50% profit margin for every job. And then eventually, once we got enough volume, I hired an admin assistant to look after uh, the email job. So it became almost entirely hands off for me. And it was a full time income. So, you know, yeah. I didn't, didn't become exceptionally wealthy from it, but I, I made uh, enough money mm-hmm. that I never got a full time job after graduating. And I, I actually focused on that business after graduating as well. And I started to travel a bit too. That's when I came to Canada. Uh, and I eventually. Um, I traveled a little bit in Australia too, Sydney and Melbourne, and I uh, love that business because it just was proof of concept. I was trying to build something that was true freedom, and that gave me uh, a real learning experience. The only problem with it was I just didn't really like the subject. I wasn't passionate about editing or proofreading or you know essays or anything like that. So I'd, I kind of reached a point where I just didn't want to focus my energy on it anymore. But in a case of good mm-hmm. timing, uh, 2004, people started talking about this thing called blogging as a great way to get traffic to uh, any site, really, or any business. So I started a blog on my editing, uh, my essay editing business. And initially, it didn't really do much because I was sort of struggling to write about editing. It's just, like I said, a bit of a boring subject for me. But I did love writing about (laughs) uh, running the business. So, you know, I love talking about how we were growing the business, even just basic things like pricing policy, uh, and I realized that that, that needed mm. to be its own blog. So in 2005, in January, I, I registered entrepreneurs-journey.com purely as a hobby. I wasn't seeing it as necessarily my business. I just wanted to explore more writing, more talking about entrepreneurship. And that's what I did. And I, I literally wrote two or three articles a week, uh, most of the time talking about running my card game business and running my essay editing business, telling stories. There was a few other businesses, websites and ideas, of course, as an entrepreneur that I, I talked about as well. And uh, surprisingly, on some level for me, it, it actually grew and, and turned into my main business. And uh, you know, to cut a long story short, there's another 12 years there I could talk about. But to cut a long story short, I sold off the card game business. I sold off the essay editing business. And I became uh, a full-time blogger uh, and information marketer. So you know, selling ebooks, membership sites, uh, online courses, uh, and just you know, podcasting, this, just proper content marketing and, and helping other people uh, launch businesses like that. So you know, that's, that's the, the medium length version of my story. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was just like, can I stop him now? Because I want to ask a question and then you talk about something else. And then like, maybe I've got a different question. So <laughs> very interesting. So you've been, you've been like full time since like what, 12, 12, 13, 15 years ago? I'd say like, I, I try to think when I first went, you know, I actually made full time income because the card game business wasn't full time, but the editing business was. So probably 2003, mm. maybe 2004, probably three or so. It's yeah, you're, you're quite right. Around about 13, 14 years of, of making my income from, from the internet. And, and Yara, what did you do with your business degree? <laughs> um, <laughs> Not a lot. I mean, I know it. It it, uh, it was the inspiration for the odd blog post now and then. I remember tapping into some ideas I learned about, like just-in-time production methods, and you know, there's a few few things I could write about. Um, I'll be honest with you; it was two things. It gave me access to the internet for the first time, which obviously was huge. And second, it gave me a place to go to because when you're you know 18, 19, and you're not sure what you're doing with the rest of your life, and you know you don't want a job. Um, I don't know what else I could have done other than at least I had to go to university and, and attend my lectures. I didn't love it. I didn't, I didn't like studying a lot of subjects I didn't care about, but at least it gave me a, a direction rather than sort of sitting at home and, you know, whatever, playing Nintendo or watching TV or something like that. So that, that's what it did yeah, for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend university is, I think, my, my, my opinion on, on that for most things. Some things you need it. Law, medicine, sure. <laughs> very, very interesting. Hey, so if we, if we bring it up to, to today, and then uh, I like to bring it up to today, and then we'll step back again into your story. Um, what would you say are your core revenue streams in your business today, Yaro? I have pretty much turned into 100% selling my own teaching products. That's, I guess, the simplest way to put it. So uh, I sell a flagship course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sell a membership site called the Laptop Lifestyle Academy, and I've got a range of uh, lower price products, some eBooks, uh, an interviews club. There's some smaller courses as well. So all digital products, all created by me and all sold from my blog and my email list. That's right now. There's a tiny bit of affiliate income, but it's not something I focus. It's kind of left over from my previous days as more affiliate promotions. Uh, and that's it. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I've got investments and things like that. And I'm doing another little startup company here in Ukraine. But at the moment, that's where okay. the majority of my mm-hmm. revenue comes from. So what um, made you, I guess, kick off in that essay writing business? Because I guess that's the one that really, as you were saying before, gave you that proof of concept and really catapulted you into the entrepreneurship world. I remember when I was doing uh, my master's here at Monash, um, we hired a couple of um, online tutorial sort of you know, editors to, to help us fix our our thesis and, you know, make sure we've got all the research that we could get and stuff like that. So I know it's still out there. So, but what gave you that idea back, back when, you know, that was like, they were saying 12, 13, 15 years ago. You know, it was a combination of uh, two things. There was a magazine back then called Yahoo Print Magazine from, you know, the Yahoo website. That was back in the, the dot-com boom, number one, you know, in 1998, 99, right. and even after the bubble burst. And uh, I read it a couple of times. And one time I happened to read an article about a young guy in the United States studying at Harvard uh, doing business. And it was just that sort of standard hypey uh, dot-com bubble story where, you know, young kid running business from dorm room, making you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, running an essay editing business a little bit different from what I did, but basically he, because mm-hmm. in the States, you have to write an entry paper to apply to get into university. So his business focused 100% mm-hmm. on that, or well, most of the business was on that area. Um, so I was interested how it was, you know, ex- it exploded in growth. 
Um, he hired family members, PhD, university professors, and it was it was very successful. I think half of it was successful just because it could tap into the press coverage it could get from being around the dot-com boom, like, you know, making phone calls right. to do deals because he was making money from advertising too. So that was kind of like the, I guess, the inspiration that that kind of business exists and could work. And the other side of the fence was myself studying in Australia. And uh, in particular, I remember one clear example. I was in a group assignment uh, in my undergrad degree. And, you know, it was me, maybe one or two local Australians, uh, and then maybe one or two international students. You know, we have a lot of Middle Eastern and Asian students at my university. And I got the job of taking the writing from all members of our team and putting it into one coherent essay. I remember sitting up mm -hmm. late at night trying to make all of our language sound the same. And in particular, I remember there was an Asian student who clearly had English as a second language, not a first language. And their writing was just, mm. uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, it was a terrible, atrocious for English, uh, academic English. Uh, you know, might have been fine for everyday communication, but academically not great. Mm. And I thought, wow, if this is the quality of their writing, uh, you know, their ideas can be fantastic, but they're just not able to present them academically well. And that's kind of what triggered the combination of ideas to create an essay editing company in, in particular focused on international students studying at university. Uh, however, like a lot of entrepreneurs, that was my core idea. But I was like, I wonder, maybe I should make it bigger and, and offer all kinds of editing. I'll do business editing. We'll do, you know, uh, translation <laughs> services. We'll do uh, maybe even resume editing. It's, it's a classic beginner entrepreneur mistake where we don't think about niches. We think about serving as many people as we can, hoping to make more money that way. Yeah. And that's what I did. But then what ended up happening, it was a great lesson on, on niching down. I started to notice that the best clients and where the most profit margin was and the easiest kind of business to run was the original idea, international students studying at university. So I think it was maybe a year later, I actually changed the website, cut away business editing, stopped doing translation services, stopped doing resumes or anything like that, 100% student editing. Uh, because the first job we ever did was actually a resume, not a resume, a language translation job. That was my, my proof of concept test for having a contractor do the work and you know me making a profit margin still. Um, but it was such a good lesson mm. on, on niching down. And it's a lesson I keep even to this day, whenever I'm teaching, you know, bloggers or anyone who wants to sell teaching products, people think, oh, I want to help the entire planet lose weight. And I go, you know, you'll do a lot better if you just focus on maybe uh, mothers who've just had a baby, help them lose the post-pregnancy weight. That's way, way more niche. You can be more targeted. You can be more specific. And you just need mm -hmm. that core following in that area rather than go and try and, you know, be everything to everybody. So it was a big lesson uh, in that experience too. Niching is a huge thing. So um, you talked a little bit before about how you went about marketing and, you know, sticking posters up at uni. If we kind of translate your startup story as we're walking through your journey into what you're teaching today, what does somebody look for before they can launch something like a blog that will start to generate or with the idea of it generating cash flow and income in the future for them? Yeah, I mean, my my businesses over the years all follow different business models. You know, I went from e-commerce to 
essentially, I, I call it a services arbitrage business, which means I hire contractors to deliver a service and it's not me doing it, to then uh, blogging. And initially, I was doing blogging to make money from advertising and selling affiliate products to then uh, uh, refocusing that to owning my own digital products. So, you know, that's they're all different business models. They're all selling something different. They're all in different industries. Um, so great experiences for me across the board. Uh, but it is interesting to kind of answer your question that the same fundamentals of you know entrepreneurial startup psychology and practice apply to everything. And I, I love looking back at all those businesses because I can say to you that the one thing that I really did well was, I guess, what you'd call nowadays uh, a, a lean startup experiment in the sense that I didn't sit down and write a business plan mm. for any of those businesses. I didn't... Uh, I didn't kind of, you know, research the market beyond doing an actual test. So I was very lean. I was like, let's put something in front of people and uh, see what works. So, you know, the, the, the real important point to make was that I actually taught myself basic website development because of my first card game business. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have had the capability of very quickly uh, rolling out an essay editing website to sell the service. And I would have been able mm -hmm. to start a blog myself without, you know, looking to hire tech people. Like nowadays, I tell everyone, you know, hire a tech person unless you're very technical yourself. But it makes way more sense to hire tech people as soon as you can. Uh, I wish I had that advice. Yeah. I would have had a quicker experience. But whatever the case may be, I didn't, which did allow me, though, to go through a really great uh, learning curve of I can, for example, I think this essay business can work. Rather than, you know, looking at the competitive marketplace, maybe filling my head with data and statistics, I just built a website and started putting up posters. And then I got, we got our first client, you know, yeah. and that was like, oh, okay, proof of concept. Now let's, let's scale this up, learn from that experience because you learn what it's like to deal with the customer. You know, and then with the blog, it was like, let's put the blog out there. And what happens if we write three articles a week uh, and, you know, Google starts sending you traffic, you start interacting with other bloggers, and then suddenly you've got 100 visitors a day coming to your blog. And, uh, you know, if, you know, 100 turns into 1,000, you've actually got an income stream there that, that could be quite significant. So for me, like, I really believe in that idea of action, you know, over contemplation. You know, uh, I think you learn way more from failure than you'll ever learn from research. And in fact, you know, the best research is failure, in my opinion. So that to me is, uh, I guess, the connecting stream across all my businesses. Built websites quickly, put up posters quickly, wrote articles quickly, uh, you know, interacted and sold cards quickly, too. I even, you know, I, I put up my store and I went straight to the, the main trading. Uh, there was a a group, what do you call it, a news group, back when news groups were a thing on the internet. And that's where a lot of the magic card right. game players were. So again, I, I could just go straight to them and say, hey, I've opened up a website. I've got a card store. Do you guys want to buy stuff? And, you know, it's just, it's an, a question you ask uh, straight away that leads to a transaction. And to me, that it's such a, a stumbling block for a lot of my students is they take so long to get to the point where they actually ask people to buy something from them. You know, and, and because they're paralyzed mm. by fear, by lack of understanding of the concepts, by technology, all those sorts of things. So, you know, if, if, if you focus on how, how can I get quickly to the first sale, that's the most important, uh, you know, stream of strategy, basically, that I, I recommend to people. So let's jump into your blogging story. So you've got the, you know, the editing business for students, um, essay editing, and then you hear about this blogging phenomenon starting to brew up and then you, you register your blog. Walk us through what happened then. 
Well, I knew it was possible to make money from blogging because there were a few pioneers even before I was a pioneer. You know, there was Darren Rouse from from ProBlogger. Uh, but back then, he was actually yeah. doing a digital photography. Uh, well, not the current version. He's got, he had a very old church blog. And then he wrote a, a blog post reviewing a camera, which then led to the, the a camera blog, essentially. And he, he actually was one of the first people mm. I ever saw put up a picture of his AdSense check. Um, I know he, he, he doesn't do that and <laughs> stopped doing that a long time ago. I think he really didn't like the, the, <laughs> the outcome of being known for a check. But it was inspiring to see the $16,000. <laughs> Uh, AdSense check from his camera blog. So I knew it was possible. And there was a few other examples, but we're talking, you know, three or four, not like the thousands we have today of people who make money from it. But mm. at least that showed me that, okay, you, you get an audience. And I kind of knew this from my card game business too. If I grew an audience from a blog, then I could make uh, income from it. But I have my essay editing business. It's my main business. Uh, let's just throw some articles out there. And for me, I had one very, I guess, motivating goal. It was I want to take the seven years of entrepreneurial experience I'd had already by that point running those two other businesses. And there were some other businesses that didn't work very well and some websites that didn't go anywhere. Lots of things that had happened. I want to take the knowledge and experience and turn it into content to help to help the world, basically, but see who shows up and see who reads mm -hmm. it. Now, to you know, give some context, the time was Google was new. Google had been around maybe three years, something like that. And you know, the whole idea mm -hmm. of link building as a way to raise your rankings in Google's search algorithm was new, but it was it was well known. And blogging was the single best tool at the time to generate links because uh, it doesn't happen as much nowadays. But back then, because there were so few blogs, they all linked back and forth to each other's yeah. articles. You know, I'd write something, I'd link to Darren's article. He'd write something and link to me and maybe link to Brian Clark from Copy Blogger. And then we'd all link back. And, you know, so it was, uh, I won't say easy, but it was so much easier to get a lot of free traffic from Google Understanding that a lot back then was a thousand visitors compared to, you know, a million visitors today. It wasn't just, just wasn't as many people on the internet back then. So it was a different world. Uh, that being said, it was uh, a great source of free traffic, which I still today to this day, like we're talking, what is it now? Uh, 12, 13 years of having the one blog. And throughout that entire time, Google free traffic has been the number one source for me. And it's all because I wrote blog mm. posts. And in fact, uh, you know, going back to your question, what did I do during those, those first few years? I literally only did two things, that, especially that first year. I wrote articles and I connected with a few mm -hmm. of my fellow bloggers, you know, left some comments, got to know them, sent them an email. And I started the podcast. I should be also you know, upfront about that. I 2005, mm -hmm. I experimented with what I called audio blogging. Uh, it was this, the, the dawn of podcasting way, way before the the boom that we went through maybe five years ago and still going through, I think, with podcasting today. So I was pro probably too early to podcasting in some ways because I missed out on the sort of the, the second wave that happened in more recent years. Um, so my podcast is almost yeah. as old as my blog. And that, just doing those two things, led to growing an audience. And I, I should also clarify, I was you know fresh in terms of internet marketing. You know, I was starting to study traditional sales funnel and uh, direct response marketing. So I was learning about the importance of mm. needing an email list, of copywriting, of making offers, uh, you know, having your own product, 
product launches were becoming a thing as they you know started off first in in the internet marketing world with people like Jeff Walker uh, doing one of the first ones and then John Reese and um, Michael same Stompernet a lot of you know internet marketing launches happened then and they were all so exciting because they're all new you know now everyone is doing one so every day there's another launch happening um, but that back then it was mm-hmm. always exciting to see the, the next launch so all that was happening and I was getting this education and it, the blog became the real playground for me to test direct response marketing. You know, what happens if I write a blog post promoting an affiliate product? Do I make any sales? Which is something I tested in my first year. Uh, Then in my second year, Mm -hmm. I added an email list and I started to ramp up, uh, you know, how much I promoted. My traffic was growing. I went from, I think, you know, 100 visitors a day in the first six months to 1,000 by the end of the first year. End of the the second year, I was pushing 3,000 and uh, my email list was growing by then, you know, getting 10 subscribers a day and 20 subscribers a day, all from organic content and, uh, and, and organic mm. marketing, you know, growing links, trying to get yourself exposure on other people's content and away you go. And uh, that then led to the release of my own first product, which was initially a membership site, actually. And, uh, you know, since then, I've been pretty much doing the same thing, releasing products. You know, I've, I've closed down old ones because we're talking 10 years ago. So, you know, they had to be revamped and refreshed. Grow your audience, you know, reach more people. And it's all born from that same initial process that I did start at the beginning. Content plus email marketing plus some kind of offer making using copywriting and, and direct response, uh, you know, internet marketing. So it was a great Great learning experience those first few years, and uh, you know, I it was slow. Wouldn't uh, I wouldn't sell it as a way, to, a great way to make money because you know, no one gets excited. You know, you'll make your first dollar in two years. You know, no one gets excited about that. But um, <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the experience was that. Would you still say to your students today um, that that process still works if somebody is brand new, don't have an audience, and but they've got a great sort of idea or a great topic or some experience outside of the internet, maybe from their professional career and they want to test out blogging. Do you still say that formula would still work or how would you tweak it for today? Yeah, I mean, the, the main difference today is you have to be a better marketer than ever before because there's way more competition, uh, way better refined ideas. You know, the specialists are everywhere. So you have to be a specialist yourself. And your content has to reflect that. So, you know, my, my first few years of blogging were all over the place. And if I needed to live off income from my blog, then that was a stupid idea because I would never made it work. You know, one minute I'm writing about <laughs> something else and jumping over here. But I was also discovering what my blog topic would be. And I, I sometimes you know, try to help people who just can't decide on their topic. And I, I do eventually reach a point where I say, you know what? Just write something to get a feel for what it's like to write and publish and be a blogger and then see where you get any kind of resonance. Are you getting responses? Are you getting you know, actions? But ideally, you enter the start phase with a fairly clear direction. You know, you know you want to help a certain group of people solve a certain problem. And that then dictates the first 10 blog posts you write, the first free email opt-in offer you make, uh, the first product you sell, Everything's linear. Everything is very niche, specialized, focused. And then you can roll out essentially the strategy and the techniques I teach, which is, you know, a set of content designed to be delivered in a certain sequence to then sell a product. So that hasn't changed, become a lot more refined, Mm -hmm. a lot more specialized. 
the part of the picture that today you really have to do better than ever is get out there and promote your best idea. And this is where a lot of creative types struggle because they love creating their work, whether it's, you know, writing or mm-hmm. videos or podcasting, uh, but they don't do the same they don't have the same level of energy and and output when it comes to promoting what they do. And that that's that's something we all have to kind of push through, which means, you know, if you do a podcast, you have to also try and drum up some attention for it, get some press coverage, get some guest posts, uh, you know, get some uh, get yourself on some other podcasts so you can mention your podcast, you know, all these things that lead to mm. attention for what you're doing because you can't sort of you know, if you build it, they will come. That idea doesn't work anymore. It hasn't worked for over a decade, to, to be honest. So, uh, you know, unless you've got an advertising budget to drive leads, you've got some kind of connection to get press coverage, you know, get yourself on radio and television uh, across magazines and newspapers, uh, or just classic hustle, get yourself writing guest posts, uh, get yourself interviewed on podcasts, um, you know, maybe do some guest appearances on YouTube channels. You have to get in front of audiences. You can't expect people to just show up. And I, I love to reference mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger because I read his biography uh, a year or so ago. And he talked about how in his career, he's had three careers. So bodybuilder, movie star, politician. And he said in all three of those careers, he had to market what he was doing just as much as do what he was doing. He had to be a weightlifter and train he had to go out there and promote the bodybuilding world in order to get attention, to get, mm. to grow the industry. As a movie star, every movie he made, he had to go out afterwards and do a press junket, travel around the world to make sure people went and saw the movie. So it made money. And as a politician, you know, you have to knock on doors and, you know, get coverage, get interviews in order <laughs> to get yourself elected. And he says, he, he's, he kind of reiterated what I said before. He, he doesn't understand why, you know, a painter or an author or a, a musician or an entertainer believes that all they have to do is just create their craft and people will magically find them. No, you have to do your craft and do as best you can, but you also have to go out there and promote your craft so people discover it. That to me, especially with the internet now being so noisy, you know, it's really the best marketers with the best content, the best quality that that really win. And that's uh that's two two skills you need to develop. That's that's pretty deep. I know I know, like as a podcaster, you, you spend quite a bit of time producing the episode, reaching out to guests, you know, good guests like yourself. And then you've, you've done this show, you, you spend a bit of money trying to produce it and you put it out there. And then you've got another show to do. And then you kind of feel, um, oh, now I've got to go and do more work trying to, you know, make sure people actually know that I've done a great interview with Yarrow so that they can actually hear his story, get inspiration from his story. But, it, you don't equate the same effort to it. Um, so it is a bit of a challenge. How did you overcome that? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I'm still not 100% uh, or not as good a marketer as I am a creative. I think that's a hurdle uh, we all face because we love to, you know, just sit in our work, like, you know, sit and, re- sit and record podcasts and talk to interesting people all day is a lot of fun versus, you know, trying to knock on doors yeah. and get people to actually promote or link to or talk about or even get yourself on someone else's podcast, you know. But I, I also have spent certain periods of my years where I've been all about marketing. Like, you know, I would put out posters uh, three days a week, week after week after week. Uh, and I did it in sometimes, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Brisbane, and then I was traveling to Canada. So I did Hawaii 
Vancouver, Toronto, and you know, I'd be in these cities and I'd just go put up posters at the three different major university campuses, uh, sometimes in the rain and the snow, and just getting out there and putting out the posters. And then I'd come home and I'd be building mm. links to try and raise the rankings of my uh, essay editing business because I knew I wanted to get to the top of Google for the, the phrase essay editor or thesis editor, uh, as well as a lot of long tail phrases like essay editor Sydney, essay editor Brisbane, and so on. So I was constantly tweaking my, my copy and constantly trying to find ways to get authoritative incoming links. And, you know, first two years of my blog in particular, I remember the same thing. You know, you, until you're famous, it's you have to work to get yourself famous. Uh, it's easy now or easier for me now because I didn't do a single thing to get you to invite me onto your show. I didn't ask you. Um, I, I got here because <laughs> I've done stuff in the past and I've built my my fame online. So there's a bit of a flywheel effect there. There's momentum kicks in, but you have to build that. And I know the first two, three, four years of my blog, it's like, you know, I put out so much more content than I do now. I put in so much more relationship building back then, you know, a lot of, a lot of time spent just talking to people, having Skype conversations. Um, nowadays it'd be all social media conversations and uh, just trying to get that one link from somewhere, that one guest post opportunity or that one commitment to promote your next upcoming launch. I think a lot of my, you know, early growth came from a, a couple of big product launches where I had, uh, you know, a, a small army of affiliates and one launch, you add mm. five to 10,000 new subscribers to your email list. And back then, and even today, you know, that's enough to seriously mm. move the, the needle on, on your sales. So, and, and future sales too. So, you know, all that, that was, that's hustle. That's a lot of hustle and you, you have to do it. And, and um, you know, like you said, you put in the work to create a great podcast, great guest, great production value. And then you need to go out there and do great work at finding exposure points, even, you know, local. You can be, you're, you're from Melbourne. Uh, you know, next time you get a, a, a big guest on your show, like a local, like I have a good example. I got uh, Steve Baxter on my podcast, who Australians will know is one of the Shark Tank sharks. And I actually mm. had him on my show before mm. he became a shark, but uh, then he became a shark. And I, and I knew him from a local co-working space in Brisbane. Uh, that's such a great opportunity. Right. I could go to local papers and say, you know, uh, Shark Tank uh, reveals, you know, how he, how he became a shark and get myself some, some mm-hmm. local coverage and some papers, some magazines, some local blogs just for that one episode of my podcast. I didn't because I'm no longer in Australia and, you know, I don't have the context there. But that's something I could do if I wanted to grow just my podcast. And that's the sort of stuff you have to do. Get these doors open. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the podcast. So you started it you know, back in 2005, 2006. Um, how do you see that space now and how, what has it done for your brand? I have a little bit of a different viewpoint on podcasting, I think, than the traditional way people see it now. I think a lot of people see podcasting as the, I guess, the new radio or even the new Oprah. You know, you've got these handful of very, very popular podcasts who now are breaking mainstream. You know, you've got Lewis Howes interviewing Maria Sharapova, the tennis player and, and you know, mm. uh, famous actors and uh, getting into mainstream, getting on Ellen, right? Um, and, and then you've got, you know, yep. uh, John Lee Dumas and Pat Flynn doing huge numbers of downloads, kind of like that's what took them to, to, to their business success. And there are examples in my industry, you know, you, you step into health, um, sports, you've got your, your superstars in, in those industries for podcasting too. And then you've got things like Serial, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of more entertainment-based, high production value um, storytelling. Yeah. All those are options, but I think what we often get 
confused by is that, like most people, there's a handful of superstars and then everyone else is kind of struggling. And it's the classic, you know, the actor trying to become famous, but really they're just working in, in restaurants as a, a waiter or a waitress to, to make a living and trying, you know, audition after audition to get a, a good role. And podcasters all around the world right now are podcasting and trying to build their audience and they're struggling to get past 100 downloads per episode or something like that compared to, you know, a million per episode for these superstars, right? So for me, I, I have the, the benefit and also the misfortune of having started too early, uh, but also uh, not, not seeing the superstars because they didn't exist when I started in 2005. So I, I had this basic idea. I wanted to create blog posts that were in MP3 format rather than me writing them because I, I had a recorder. I had this record button on my MP3 recorder device, I had a, an iRiver player, hit record, recorded yeah. my voice, uploaded it to my blog and said, here's my first ever audio blog. And then, you know, iPod came out and the, the, the idea of uh, what's that time shifting, you know, you listen to something rather than it being live, you choose it's on demand whenever you want to. That's kind of one of the main things mm -hmm. podcasting did compared to radio or television, you decide. So I kind of got a bit of traffic from it. You know, I, I reached 500 downloads an episode, maybe 1,000 downloads an episode, and it sort of stayed there for most of the time. And I still have my podcast, but I never really did the whole, mm -hmm. you know, one episode a day strategy and made it my main thing. But I will tell you what it's done for me. And this, to me, is such an important point for any podcaster who wants to use a podcast for business purposes, you know, to sell your stuff. Mm. Um, don't try and be the superstar mega download podcast. What you need, and it's that same advice, is those 1,000 listeners who are the target market for what you sell. So what's happened with my podcast is I, I did change the the strategy a tiny bit about five, six years ago. And I said, no longer am I just going to interview kind of like any online entrepreneur. We're going to try and tighten that focus, particularly to information marketers, ideally bloggers who sell digital products, because that's what I teach. So if I interview people who do that, it's kind of like proof of concept. These are more examples of people doing what I teach. Not, not all my students, mm. most of them aren't my students. They're just people who've done it themselves or, you know, figured out ways to do it. So, you know, when I interview someone who's uh, created a blog on teaching how to uh, produce digital music and they sell their own course on that and they're making six figures a year, it's a great story. It's a great podcast, but it's also a great case study, proof of concept for what I, what I sell and what I teach. So what's happened is my podcast has created a fantastic distribution, branding and proof, social proof tool that leads to people buying my stuff because they want to see themselves as the next case study. And that's what I want too. I want to interview as many of my students as I can uh, because it's, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's fantastic. They, they get a result. They make a full-time income from their business. I have another example of someone making it work. So my podcast today in particular is about sharing stories to demonstrate that what I teach in my business actually works. And I think, and it's not huge, you know, I, I do get maybe a thousand to 2000 downloads per episode but those 2,000 people are very much focused on that business model that I teach. You know, so important. So I would recommend that to any podcast today, if your plan is to try and get to 100,000 downloads an episode to then make money from advertising, that's way harder than getting 500 to 1,000 downloads per episode and trying to get two to three clients or two to three course sales uh, from each of those episodes, you know, and then and bring in a full-time income from that. And that's way more 
niche, way more linear, way more realistic. It's the same strategy I teach bloggers. You know, don't try and create the next Mashable or the next mega huge blog. <laughs> Just create a small niche blog, grow a small niche email list. And all you need is 100 people paying $1,000 a year to you and you've got a $100,000 a year business. So if you get 100 people from your blog and your podcast to buy stuff from you, that to me seems way more realistic than trying to get a million people to listen to each episode or you know to visit your blog uh, every month. That is so good, so good. Yeah, I, I saw a, a a tweet and a post that you've just recently done saying, um, you know, you've generated I think o- over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars while traveling just or, uh, off of your laptop lifestyle. So give us a, a bit of a view of what your business looks like today in terms of reach and 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 numbers. Sure. So I mean that blog post very fresh as a recording that i only published that this week uh i did an experiment uh i wouldn't say it was 100 percent deliberate but it was just a case of timing i i began my european travels in february of this year uh, about six months ago as we mm. record this and i i just didn't put anything in my calendar i said i'm not going to do any new product launches i'm not going to do any new promotions i'm not going to create any new products I'm going to maintain my business. I'll, I'll write a, a, a post once a month and maybe one interview for my podcast once a month. Uh, my team will look after day-to-day customer service. But the real test was, will all the systems I've set up to sell my products and services keep selling my products and services when I don't do anything? So I'm off riding bikes in, in Warsaw or you know uh, visiting my dad and, and my brother and his mom in Barcelona or Valencia or whatever, uh, I'm not sitting there doing what I've done for the last 10 years, writing lots of blog posts, preparing my next product, preparing my next launch, marketing, and so on. How does the business go? And uh, to put this, mm. like to clarify, I put in place a plan five years ago, six years ago, because I had no products on the market. I closed them all down because they were out of date. And they did great, but right. they're all based on launches. I'd made over a million dollars online, but it was always based on launching, launching, launching. So I had this point where I had no products, but I had a blog and I had an email list. I had a following. So I was like, okay, I'm going to plan on new series of products, but it's going to be different this time. It's not about launches. It's about building a proper sales funnel, what I call a blog sales funnel. So to, to really keep it simple for the, for the listener, I have a series of email sequences, email campaigns that run automatically. I've, they're all emails I've written over the last five years to either promote my products or to cross promote different products or to, I guess, retain customers to, you know, stop people from canceling or get people to use what they buy, things like that. And uh, that, mm. that's been set up so that this is the ideal sequence of events. Person searches Google or comes across my work on social or uh, even a person finds my podcast or gets a referral somehow because of all the free content I've created, they discover me. They land on a blog post, they read it, they then get a a pop-up or they see a place to join my email list for some kind of free course or free report or free webinar. They opt in, they go through that sequence of information automatically, and they get more value, more education, they build more trust with me as a coach and a teacher, and some of them, a very small fraction, you know, we're talking maybe 2% of subscribers will buy the actual product that I offer, and uh, that 2% become a customer. And then very likely that from within that 2%, there'll be another 2% who'll become a customer of my, my flagship course, you know, my $1,000 or $2,000 course. And some of them will also join my membership site, the Laptop Lifestyle Academy. In other words, 
all of this education and trust building and information is going out there that I've created over the last five years and even earlier on autopilot and sales come through an autopilot. So I spent the last six months doing nothing to see whether that actually worked. And it did. And it, it still does. I, I won't lie to you. There's always, a, I guess, an attrition. I think uh, the universe is designed to atrophy. So if you do nothing forever, eventually things will you know, dissipate to nothing. But it's very slow. And most mm. importantly, you know, I, I, I see the, the system working, people buying my products, people joining a membership site later on, you know, joining a course after watching a webinar that was recorded. And that happens without me being there. And that, to me, was always the dream when it came to uh, being a content creator because I don't want to you know, be creating products forever. I just like to explore ideas in blog posts and interview interesting people in, in podcasts. But I also you know, want to make a steady income. So if you can build a machine that runs behind your, your content, making all these sales, obviously you have to create the products, create the emails, there's some work to do. Uh, but I've done that work. And mm. you know the, the fruits <laughs> of the labor is what you would almost, I wouldn't quite say it's passive income, but it's really automatic income, very highly leveraged income. And it's what I teach you know everyone to do, but you got to start with your first sale and your first product. So my business today is, is a blog and a podcast that drives a few thousand people a month onto my email list. You know, I, I could show you my stats. I get maybe uh, 1,000 new email subscribers a month. So we're not talking hundreds of thousands or even tens of thousands. It's 1,000 subscribers to my list a month from all the blog traffic and podcast traffic and, and social media, et cetera, out there. And that turns into, you know, uh, uh, 20,000, 30,000, depending on what I'm doing you know, a month at U.S. dollar revenue stream without me being there most of the time. So it uh, mm. took, took a while to get there and it requires a lot of things to go right and to really build, build a platform. But uh, I've done it and I, I've got so many students I see who've done it. Some have gone on to make millions because they, they do even bigger. You know, they create more products, do bigger launches, reach more audiences like uh, – um, Natalie McNeil is, is one of my graduates. She's gone on to make over a million. Uh, Mitch Wilson, he's gone on to make several million a year from sports blogging. Um, there's a bunch of people who I, you know, I can point out making several hundred thousand a year in all kinds of niches from like sports and, and business coaching to treating acne to skiing, music production, you know, all kinds of uh, there was speed reading book publishing, independent book publishing. There's just so many unique subjects that this business model can work in. So that's why I love teaching mm -hmm. it because I can I see people come up. Like right now, I've got someone who's a specialist at uh, high-end investing in Brazil, and that's what their business is about. I've got another guy who teaches people how to become a teacher of English as a second language. You know, someone who goes to Japan and teaches English or does it online. So these are all you know current mm -hmm. active students in, in my membership right now. So I, I love that this kind of business model can work provided you come to the table with some kind of skill or some kind of value to offer to the world. Very interesting. And uh, I'm loving all the stuff you're sharing here. Now, if somebody Yarrow wants to connect with yourself and find out more about, you know, blogging or podcasting as a way of creating an, an income stream and a full time to that effect, what would you recommend? What's been your most sort of favored course that you recommend people to, to, to jump into or best way to, to start that journey with you? Yeah, well, Davis, thank you for 
letting me share so much of my story. I, I don't think I've really dived into the technical or technique specific things like write this type of article, write this type of email, you know, do this particular marketing step. So uh, if people want that, I actually do have a free report. It's called the Blog Profits Blueprint, which is available from blogprofitsblueprint.com. Uh, it's 88 pages. You can get it in audio with me speaking it out to you or the written version. And it is very how-to. So, you know, if you want, I guess, more of the how-to steps from what we're talking about today in terms of building the blog, growing the email list, uh, podcasting gets a mention as another content distribution channel. And that's ultimately what I'm teaching, mm -hmm. content marketing to sell products and services. So if that's what you want to do, blogprofitsblueprint.com would be a great starting point. And it's free. Amazing. We'll link that up in, in the show notes. And um, so that's blogprofitsblueprint.com. And um, is that also the best way for people to just connect with you if they've got yeah. you know, a way to wanting to reach out yeah, to I mean, you? Yeah, I mean, you can always just Google my name, Y-A-R-O. You'll find my podcast, my blog. You'll find the blueprint that way too. Uh, and, and you can just sort of explore on your own time everything that way that's a bit more overwhelming if you want the more concise step-by-step -step, then i'd go with the blog profits blueprint but if you want to get in touch with me yeah find my blog and you'll find my social media that way too i generally ask um very quickly Ara, what's been the best book that you've read recently that you'd recommend for people to have a read of Ooh, um i've got so many book recommendations because i I, I read a range. Now I'm reading personal development to fiction to spirituality to business. So uh, and I, I always right. love the bios. And you know what? I mentioned it already. So let's let's run with the same example. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall biography. Mm. Uh, I won't call it you know the best book I've ever written, but it's a solid biography. And I love the fact that it's it's personal development. It's but it's also very business relevant too, because you know at the end of the day, he's a businessman. And uh, it's, he's, he's larger than life, right? So it's so interesting hearing the background of all the things that happened. And a lot of people don't realize this, but Arnold became a millionaire before anything else because he was investing in property in California. He, he had this very interesting idea. He did landscaping, sort of, you know, tiling and uh, for people's houses in California. But what made it unique was he got all of his bodybuilding buddies to be the laborers. So you had this team of huge muscle-bound guys in your backyard building your walls and putting together your, your floors, right? So it was very, you know, it was an interesting marketing angle, just seeing guys doing that. So he used the cash he made from that to buy property and became a property investor. And that's how he became a millionaire before he was a movie star, before he was a politician, before any of that. So, you know, you learn that kind of interesting behind-the-scenes stuff reading a book like Total Recall. Total recall. Well, I'll tell you, Yarrow, I've had probably over 60 interviews so far with about maybe 100 book recommendations. That That is a first. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, David. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before I ask my last question, Yarrow, I really just want to thank you so much. I listened to a podcast interview with you uh, being interviewed by somebody, and I could literally hear in his voice that you had done so much for where he's at in his business. I think it's based in the UK. Uh, I listened to an interview of you and uh, Jamie Masters, Jamie Tardy, and I could tell that she had learned a lot from you, even Pat Flynn and all these big guys that we, we look up to today in, in this space. Um, it, it feels like you've had an impact in their, in their journeys and, and probably vice versa as well. But, and, and many, many more people whose lives you have personally touched and, and influenced because you've, you've taken a step out and, and, um, 
journeyed on in on this entrepreneurship journey so really appreciate you and uh, I, th- I really thank you for coming on to this show and sharing your words of wisdom to our community i've got one more question for you Yaro. do you think about legacy at all and if you do what legacy do you want to leave and tell us why uh, i think you just pretty much said the legacy right there davis by how you how you said thank you i i, <laughs> I love the fact that we can publish our ideas on the internet and not know exactly who we influence or how we influence. But as long as we focus on giving our best ideas, being helpful, offering value, you know, there's one thing that you and I might have said in this episode that triggered an emotion and, you know, a motivation in someone listening who then goes on to completely change their life because of a business or because of a, a health change or, you know, anything to do with their life. Uh, and then they you know, give us credit for sparking that change. And that's what I love about just continuing to publish. You know, I, I keep blogging because I still love the fact that um, as a legacy, I won't ever truly know the impact it's had. But it, there is a, a lovely feeling knowing even if it's your first person you impact versus your your first thousand. Uh, it's it's just such a such an opportunity like it, the internet like we there's no other time in history where i can literally write a blog post and someone in china someone in kenya you know someone in ukraine can actually get to know me learn from me benefit from me change their life and then go on to change other people's lives in, in their country or, or online as well so i love the the pyramid scheme that is internet education in some ways <laughs> and uh you know that's what that's that to me is the legacy for me like I think the legacy is something that should be built every day. I, I don't find that whole, you know, at the end of your life, you look back on this one thing you did. I think it's every day you're you're actually creating little legacies. And that to me is, is what being a writer and an author and a content creator is all about. So I keep that in mind. It's that one person I'm writing to every time I write something or the one person I'm speaking to is listening to me talk right now on this podcast will benefit. Mm. That's the legacy. So and, and, and paying it forward, the legacy is what they do with the ideas to help other people. So uh, you know, that's, that's why I love it. Well, I appreciate you coming on this show, Yarrow. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Yarrow Starak, and you heard it from the man himself. Uh, Legacy is just about focusing on that one person that you could impact, and you don't, you don't really know how much that is going to travel and what they're going to do with that. So thank you so much for joining us with Yarrow. Um, if you enjoyed that episode, do leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll be sure to give you a shout-out on an upcoming show. And remember to head on over to businessjournals.com we're going to prepare a special PDF highlight reel of this show. Just go to businessjournals.com forward slash Yarrow S. That's Y-A-R-O-S. And you can download your free PDF over there and click subscribe on your podcast player to connect with Yarrow. Um, best place, blogprofitsblueprint.com and download your free um, information book there. Um, I think it's an ebook that uh, Yarrow has prepared for all of us here. So, Yarrow, thank you so much um, for coming on this Business Journals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. Absolutely grateful. You are a true business general. Thank you, Davis. I love being here and keep up the great work with this amazing podcast. And good luck, everyone listening in. I hope you all have great success with your businesses. Talk to you soon. Hey, what's up, Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.